Oh, Father, we exalt thee this day. We thank you that your grace has been shed abroad in our hearts and that you have ransomed and redeemed us, Lord Jesus, from the fiery a pit that we deserved and from the miry clay from which we were trapped and from the death which we all were experiencing in our sin until we were resurrected. Our feet were set on the rock, Jesus Christ, and we were given the robes of righteousness. His, Christ's imputed righteousness, counted to our account in justification upon regeneration where the Holy Spirit was in indwelling in us, transforming us from the inside out and establishing us in Christ such that when He was crucified on the cross, so was our sin atoned. We rejoice in this truth. We thank You for the things that You have done. You are worthy of majesty, glory, honor. Power should be ascribed to You, Lord. Glory should be lifted to You from throats and lives and Obedient hearts, Lord, moved upon the contemplation of our salvation to laying our lives down, taking up the cross, following you. I pray, Lord, this day as we open your scriptures and see the perfect plan of salvation was laid out, Lord, to take place in the fullness of time from the Old Testament and even from the foundations of the earth, that you would stir our faith, that you would move us to worship you more still, when we see how amazing and how great you are. Thank you for this time that you have given us as a gracious gift. I pray that we would not take it lightly, but instead, Lord, you would use in the, the means of this service to stir and plant within us fruit, Lord, that would give you glory, grow your kingdom, and honor your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, what a great privilege to open the scriptures today. And as we do so, I would encourage you, as I encourage myself, let us approach this text with reverence and fear today. If a holy God has stooped low to us in His condescension to give us the eternal words of life, if He has kept them such as they are, incorruptible and infallible, preserved by His providence in this record before us, let us realize the treasure that is before us as we seek to dig deeply into what the Spirit would say to us through His Holy Word. To do so, would you turn with me in your scriptures to Psalm 68. Psalm 68 will be our text today. In a moment, I'll ask you to stand out of reverence for the reading of the Word of God. As you're turning to Psalm 68, the title of this morning's message is Ark Procession. Ark with reference to the Ark of the Covenant procession with reference to a parade or a journey, a liturgy, an event where the ark would be moved from one location to another. And as you recall your Old Testament history, I'm sure you'll remember a few of these times where special protocol was in place so as to treat that which represented, that which typified the presence of the Lord abiding with His people would not be treated lightly, but instead, again, with reverence and with fear. So stand with me, if you are able, with your Bible open to Psalm 68, and follow me as we read this glorious song, entitled, To the Choir Master, a Psalm of David, a Song, verse 1. God shall arise, His enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate Him shall flee before Him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, 
so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to His name. Lift up a song to Him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before Him, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows, is God in His holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, verse 8. The earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad, you restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it, in your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word, the women announce the news, who announce the news are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil, though you men lie among the sheepfolds. The wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, O many-peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice ten thousand. Ten thousands are thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation, Selah. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. But God will strike the heads of His enemies, the hairy crown of Him who walks in His guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that you may strike your feet in the blood, that the tongues of your dogs may have the, their portion from the foe. Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation. The Lord, O you, who are Israel's fountain. There is Benjamin, the least of them in the lead, the princes of Judah in their throng, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God. The power, O God, by which you have worked for us because of your temple at Jerusalem. Kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds. The herd of bulls with calves of the peoples. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord. Selah. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient of heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. This is the word of God. You may be seated. It occurred to me in my study of this psalm, which we will take just a cursory glance at today, 
as there are quite a few verses, that in fact it is divided, you could see, perhaps in two equal sections. Verses 1 through 17 refer to a historic situation, and I've labeled that section the Ark of the Old Covenant. Verses 18 through 35 refer to a yet future situation at the time of the writing of this song, and I refer to that section as the Ark of the New Covenant. The Ark of the Old Covenant, the Ark of the New Covenant. The title of this morning's message is Ark Procession. That is the progress of the event of the ark moving from one place to the next. And you can see in the movement of the song and in the devices that are employed and in the beautiful imagery and poetry, there is a sense of progress and ascendancy of accomplishment and furthering to glory that is pictured in these words. To understand this psalm more clearly, I submit to you that three things must be kept in mind to appreciate its power and depth. First of all, consider the significance of its author. This psalm is to the choir master, meaning it's an instruction for the corporate assembly to sing as a worship ode to the Lord. But it is not just that, it is a psalm of David. Recall David, the king of Israel. Israel's greatest king as far as humans are concerned. Not great because of his impeccable character. Not great because David was the innocent Messiah to come and had arrived and would usher the people into this era of glorious ascendancy. No, but because of who David symbolized. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was the perfect fulfillment, the King of kings, the one who came in time, the only innocent, sinless one, is the son of David. At this time, David's kingdom prefigures the coming one, the son of David, Christ himself. So the significance of the author as a king, as David himself ruled from the throne in Israel as a type of the reigning Christ, provides a royal perspective. And from the vantage point of his throne in Israel, let us consider this psalm. Secondly, to keep in mind, the centrality of the Ark of the Covenant to the progress and plight of the people of God in the tabernacle age. Or put more simply, the importance of the Ark of the Covenant. Consider that David is king and consider the importance of the Ark of the Covenant. Just a reminder, the Ark itself represented the abiding presence of the living God among His people. It was the place where the conditions were met where a holy God would be in fellowship with His own. You recall the imagery, there was the cherubim whose wings overshadowed the mercy seat. And underneath that mercy seat in the chamber was laid up the law and other implements to represent God's faithfulness to the people. In this picture, we have the abiding presence of God symbolized. When the sacrificial, when the substitute lamb or blood was shed and sprinkled on that seat, there on the Ark of the Covenant, then that blood of atonement on the mercy seat symbolized that the price had been paid for God to dwell with His people. Justice had been served for their sins was symbolized in this act. And so the ark was central, important, and significant. Years ago, I remember preaching a series of messages where we sought to identify where was the ark and where were the people spiritually. And as you look through the Old Testament, you can do this. Invariably, the location of the ark spoke to the location of the people's hearts. 
if the people had abandoned the Lord, if they had forgotten their God, if they left His gospel aside and were not following the terms and conditions of His abiding presence, the ark would be stashed away, forgotten in someone's home. If they had been unfaithful and disobedient in war, oftentimes the ark would be confiscated and stolen by their enemies. On the other side, conversely, if the people of God were moving forward, taking ground, the ark was going before them where they were faithfully following God's instructions to carry it on poles by those who were commissioned to do so, that it would lead the people. Only when God led the people, only when they trusted Him to break ground for them was a trail made into hostile territory in Canaan land, across impassable streams and waters at the Jordan, at the Red Sea, at the, uh, Red sea I guess that was pre-ark. Nevertheless, the idea of God's presence going before His people was there as well. So the ark was central and significant. The plight of the ark reflected the position of the people with respect to the Lord. If their hearts were in the wrong place, the ark would be lost somewhere on them or stolen by their enemies. If their heart was in the right place, they recognized that central to their existence as a people and to their future was the worship of the holy God and His presence dwelling among them. Thirdly, to understand the importance of Psalm 68, consider the symbolic continuity of Scripture pointing forward to fulfillment. As I mentioned to you before, we have pictured in the text today the Ark of the Old Covenant and the Ark of the New. What is the Ark of the New Covenant? Well, it's interesting the language that is chosen at the beginning of the book of John. In this gospel, the language identifies Christ with the abiding presence of God with His people. He came and tabernacled, the Greek uh, seems to indicate, that is set up a place with, of mediation with the people of God such that God's presence was now abiding with His people in Jesus who is tabernacling among them. In this sense, Jesus is the ark of the new covenant. And so, is, and so the picture then still stands. Wherever Jesus is in our affections, in our understanding, in our confession, in our obedience, if we don't care much about His Word, if we don't seek Him very often, if we don't find Him to be central to our existence, if, we, if He's somewhere distant, then we find the condition of our heart is in captivity to sin and the world and the devil. And we must be, be, become reunited with the Ark of the New Covenant in order to be in right standing with Him. We need Christ, just as the Old Covenant people needed the Ark of the Covenant. Ridley Herschel comments as he notes the significance of David's psalm. He says, The psalmist is filled with praise when he is enabled to see that God revealed His fatherly love in the whole of that movement. When he says that movement, he means the progress of the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark procession. That his eye was upon the fatherless, he says, the widow, the solitary, and the afflicted. But David is also carried in the Spirit to the Mount of Olives, where he sees the ascending Lord. He sees the triumphal chariots with innumerable companies of angels, and then beholds the Lord welcomed in glory as the mighty conqueror. This is his, that is, the uh, commentators, Ridley Herschel's take on some of the significance thrust, and theme of this psalm. Here's a heading for you for our two main points today. The symmetry of Psalm 68 in poetry and in history. 
Let us consider the balance, that is, the design or the symmetry represented in poetry and representing its purpose, God's purposes in history, in the two divisions of Psalm 68. First, under this title, the Ark of the Old Covenant, and second, under the title, the Ark of the New Covenant. So in this introduction, I've given you a lot of information uh, to, uh, to uh, set the table or tone for this psalm by referring to the Ark. But you may not have recognized the Ark directly in the psalm. Well, how do we know that the Ark is in view and its procession in these words that we've read today? Well, this cross-reference comes from Numbers 10, 35-36. There'll be two additional cross-references this morning. Both are very important. The first to introduce the first section of the song. The second will be from Ephesians to introduce the second section. But turn back with me for now to Numbers 10, 35 and 36. And notice these familiar words. This in the context of Israel leaving Sinai with special instructions for the Ark of the Covenant among them and their actions with respect to it, the worship of the Lord in the wilderness wanderings. It says, Numbers 10.35, Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. Those words sound familiar. Yes, in fact, they do because they are the first words of Psalm 68. So again, think of this. Whenever the ark set out, Moses had this liturgy, this commencement speech. He would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And the priests who were bearing the ark were then to take their first step forward on mission, to go that much closer to the promised land, perhaps to cross the Jordan, and so on and so forth. In Psalm 68, 1, David writes, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. It's the same words of commencement. Clearly, we have here a reference to the initial ceremony, the liturgy of the ark beginning to make its progress from point A to point B. So we can surmise that this likely was a song that was featured when the ark was found during the course of David's tenure as king and then returned to a more rightful and central place among the people. Regardless of when the song was employed, nevertheless, it seems clear that it is a song that is a good soundtrack to accompany the plight or the progress, the procession of the ark. Now, notice again in Numbers 10.35 that there were also words that Moses would speak at the end of the ark's journey. So at the end of a day's wanderings, let's say, when the ark would reach the place of encampment for the night, it says, verse 36, And when it, the ark, rested, he, Moses, said, quote, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. So when the ark would leave, he would say, Arise, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, let those who hate you flee before you. And when the ark had finally come to its resting point, its place of destination for the day, Moses would say, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. Moving back to Psalm 68, halfway through, we see again similar language. In verse 17, David writes, 
The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. So here again is reference to ten thousands, this time associated with the chariots of God. As if to say, as many as the people that dwell in this land, so the Lord has gone forth with His warriors, uh, uh, representing each and every one, to fulfill His purpose and design for His people. And that purpose culminated in the first half of this chapter by, by saying, Sinai is now in the sanctuary. I told you, the, uh, I reminded you that the, table, the Ten Commandments, the, the law itself, was laid up in the Ark of the Covenant. When the Ark of the Covenant was lost on the people and not in its featured location in the sanctuary, either tabernacle or temple as it were, then Sinai, as represented by those tables, was not in its proper place. But when the law of the Lord and the worship of the people, that is the word of God and the focus of the population, were brought together, that was the place of order and righteousness for them. So when the ark had made its procession from a place of obscurity, returning to a place of centrality, now Sinai was in the sanctuary. Now the word of God had returned to the hearts, to the center of the civilization, to the focus, to the attention of the people. And that's what this ceremony seems to celebrate in Psalm 68. It's a psalm fitting for that occasion. What does it look like and what does it sound like and what are the themes when a people refocus their attention on priorities? The Word of God back in the center of their life, back as the fixture, the foundation stone of their worldview, back as the center of their religious affections. Well, that's what Psalm 68 is all about. In this first half, we've just given a framework and structure for it, we might call the Ark of the Old Covenant. It opens, the psalm does, reminding us of a memorial occasion. Numbers 10, 35, and 36 were helpful in that regard, introducing us to the processional of the Ark moving in the experience of the people of God. Uh, young people, kids, listen up. I'm sure all of you have been to a parade. We were at a parade recently right here in town. And everyone remembers a parade from their youth, or maybe you've been to one recently. Things that are important are usually placed in the beginning. As a parade commences through our little town here in Cross Lake, often it is led by a standard that represents our nation, like the flag. Uh, shortly after, the revered you know, emergency services vehicles that represent safety and security go forward. So as the parade begins to march, you have the symbol of the people's identity, and you have the important uh, vehicles immediately following. And then often as the parade commences, you have celebration in the middle. Uh, in our case, weird and crazy things going on. And then at the end of the parade, again, you might have important vehicles moving forward. And they go from one point to another. Now this is an analogy, an illustration, something to help us understand what's going on here. This is a parade of sorts. But it's a parade of way, way, way more importance than any that you've ever attended before. It's a parade where the hand should be on the heart, as it were, as the ark passes in front of them. Well, in fact, this parade, everyone was joined with. So you would follow in solemn, uh, solemnity and reverence 
and also in rejoicing and jubilation. And this train would be uh, uh, an an experience that the people would not soon forget. Both old and young alike would would, uh, remember the importance that is represented there. Now, this kind of activity took place many times, or several times at least, in the life course of the Hebrews of old. Sometimes it was in the context of war. Do you remember Jericho, for instance? The ark went before the people. There were worshipers there. They were marching around the city in this procession, following the instructions of the Lord. The trumpets blew, the walls fell down, and then the ark would return. And no doubt, at the end of that day's journey, Moses would declare, Joshua in that case, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. And what was celebrated then in this procession was how God had intervened on their behalf. How He had led them, let's say, through the Jordan. How He had defeated their enemies, let's say, the city of Jericho. How He had provided for them bread in their wilderness wanderings. This is the picture. The Ark of the Old Covenant in its procession represented a memorial occasion. Participating in this event helped the people remember what the Lord had done. Now, as the crew was assembling, you might imagine the heralds going forward. Leaders like Joshua and Moses saying, in verses 2 and following, As smoke is driven away, so shall you drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before the Lord. What would they be doing in announcing, proclaiming, or singing these words? Well, the psalmist, the choir master, would be declaring to the people that anything that stands in between the Lord and His will is like smoke standing before the wind. You've sat at a campfire before. Which side is your favorite? The side that's upwind. Because the smoke will never win a war with the wind. The wind will always blow it aside. So it is with the enemies of the Lord. When these people would gather in this procession, it was a statement of faith that just as wax held over the fire will turn into a liquid in moments, so shall the wicked perish before our God. When our God dwells with His people, we, following His will, are indeed invincible. We go on to hear this proclamation of faith in verse 3, But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exult before the Lord, they shall be jubilant with joy. While enemies melt away, the righteous are singing their songs of triumphal praise. Verse 4, sing to God, sing praises to His name, lift up a song to Him who rides through the deserts, or rides through the waters, as we remember the Lord triumphing over Israel's enemies at the Red Sea. They are singing, they are proclaiming, they are prophesying the works of the Lord in this beginning section. The Lord, the name, His name is the Lord. Lift up a song to Him who rides through the deserts, His name is, in fact, Yahweh. Those four consonants, the tetragrammaton, the most important name for the Lord in the Old Testament, highlighting His eternal covenant keeping. Our personal and powerful God has made a promise to us, and we know His word is sure. His name is promise keeping. Exult before Him. He is, verse 5, father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in His holy habitation. This processional is not marked as triumphant because of the great war heroes that march in its train. 
No, it's populated by the weak and the lowly, by the destitute and the afflicted, by the orphan, by the captive, by the widow, by the fatherless. Yet God has gone before us. He marches forward and clears the path for our habitation. God in his place, in his temple, cannot be thwarted. This is the picture of the prophecy and proclamation. God settles the solitary in a home, verse 6, and we recall God doing exactly this for his people. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, as we recall deliverance from Egypt. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Our mind immediately goes to the plagues that afflicted the rebellious Pharaoh and those who opposed the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the great almighty one true God in Egypt. Verses 7 through 16 continue in this manner, exalting the exodus, exodus exploits of God, the works of God in delivering his people. He went before them, after all, and marched with them through the wilderness. In other words, in this procession, the people are reminded that the Lord led them on that 40-year journey by his sovereign hand, fire by night, cloud by day, an ark going before them, making a way through a sea of enemies, through the sea, the Red Sea itself, through the Jordan into the promised land. They stopped en route at Sinai. Verse 8 recounts this. The earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain. Before God, the one of Sinai. Before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad, you restored your inheritance as it languished. Again, all of these things, the ark of the old covenant represented. It was a symbol of the exploits of God and the exodus of his people. And as they were uh, uh, participating in this ark procession, they would remember when the earth shook and the heavens exploded and fire and trumpets filled their ears and eyes as the Lord delivered his law written by his very finger on stone tablets to their mediator Moses, leader of the people, the prophet at the time. Verse 9. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad, you restored your inheritance as it languished. We begin to see the flourishing of the people as they are led into the dwelling place of Canaan. Your flock found a dwelling in it, verse 10. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The next few verses speak to the fact that against all odds, among a weak and disoriented people, nevertheless, the Lord provided for them. He bore them up, it says, in the language of the Pentateuch, on wings as eagles. And here it says, the wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. This beautiful and powerful transcendent picture of covering as a bird would over her young is the kind of care the Lord shows His people as the king's armies flee before Him and the women at home dis, uh, divide the spoil. And even as the young men, uh, the, the men lie in sheepfolds, that is, they may not be responsible for this conquest, nevertheless, they found assurance and security in the Lord. Verses 15 through 17 conclude by sharing a story of two different mountains, Bashan versus Zion. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, O many peak mountain, mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with hatred, O many peak mountain, at the mountain that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord dwell, the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. High places were reference points for the people's worship at this time. 
And for those who were pagans, they would seek the highest and most impressive places of all. They would name these high places after their gods. And Bashan was like that. It was a high peak, a foreboding elevation, a place of power and dominance. But here there was an, in the, is pictured another mountain, a smaller, unassuming on the surface. Yet it is the envy of every high, other high place. What mountain do I speak of? Mount Zion. Didn't so matter the geographic location. In fact, it would one day be transcended. You remember in John 4, the woman asks, do we worship on this mountain or in that one? And Jesus says, those who worship me, worship me in spirit and in truth. The point is, where God's presence dwells with his people, that is a mountain, that is a high place that no other high place can hold a candle to. Thus, the place of God's dwelling with his people becomes the envy of the world. Bashan is jealous of this little unassuming mountain, makes war against her and fails. So long as God is dwelling with his people, so long as Sinai is in the sanctuary, the chariots of God protect his interests, and they are as many as the people's, tens of thousands, aligned against his foes. This is the Ark of the Old Covenant, pictured in Psalm 68 in prophetic form. It reminds us that this occasion of the art procession was one of memorial and one of faith, one of prophecy and proclamation, and one of celebrating the works of the Lord. This is history of old, the Ark of the Old Covenant. But let me suggest to you a shift now in verse 18, where we move to the prophetic as David prophesies of an ark yet in the future the Ark of the New Covenant. How do we know this is the case? This leads us to our second cross-reference. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is laying out the specifics of the faith, the revealed Christ, the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. He says in verse 5, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Listen closely, verse 8. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, verse 9, why, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let me read again verse 8. Do these words sound familiar? When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Again, yes, they do. Why? Because back in Psalm 68, uh, it's, it, we find that Paul was citing verse 18, in fact. In Psalm 68, 18, David says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men. This is a messianic prophecy of the Ark of the New Covenant, of the ascendancy to come, 
as David leading this procession, no doubt, or involved in some way, as we imagine it, watches the ark travel from the tents of Obed-Edom up the mountain of Zion to the place where it is featured and central in the people's mind, he is speaking of an ascendancy. They're climbing the hill of Zion. For years, the Psalms of Ascent would again be odes to that theme as people would bring their families in tow to go worship the Lord. They would look to their children and they would teach them the songs of ascent going up to Zion. And so as we have been studying in Matthew 27, there was an ascent by another. Our Lord himself climbed a hill and he bore the instrument of the sacrifice for our sins. And he was crucified on that hill of Calvary. But he ascended yet further, brothers and sisters. He ascended 40-some days later, even into glory. What David prophesies here, Paul identifies later as the incarnation, the cross, and the ascension. Christ ascended on high, as Paul tells us. Doesn't that mean he first descended low? Yes. He, who was the eternal glorified Son, became, took on flesh, was born of a virgin, walked this earth all the way to Calvary, paid for our sins on that cruel cross, and in so doing, led a host of captives in his train, defeating our enemies, the greatest of all, that we had no power to overcome sin and death. And as he defeated them at his ascension, his victory procession as the Ark of the New Covenant leads in his parade the evidence of his conquest. And through history as he has ascended and now many, many, many souls join his parade, too many to count, populating the realms of glory, professing him in this earth as we come to Christ and confess with our mouth that he is Lord, the victory train of Christ, of freed captives, receiving gifts and giving gifts gets longer and longer and longer. Psalm 68 prophesies of the ark of the new covenant, Christ himself, whose processional of conquest leads to glory. As Hebrews says, the anchor that has gone beyond the veil into the holiest place so that the place of God's presence with his people is one and the same in the perfect fulfilled Sabbath rest of eternity. This is the picture of Psalm 68, the ark of the old prefiguring the ark of the new. Ephesians 4 identifies that the second portion of the text refers to the prophetic occasion yet to come, where Christ in his incarnation, his work of sacrifice on Calvary, and his victorious ascension will himself complete the procession of the ark of the covenant, if you will, fulfilling everything it represented of old. And now with those eyes, we go back to our text and we read in verse 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. There it is. God the Lord will deliver us from death itself. He will lead death in his captivity train, having triumphed over it in the cross. Verse 21, but God will strike the heads of his enemies. The hairy crown, meaning strong and formidable and intimidating crown or authority of him who walks in his guilty ways. 
The Lord will conquer the sinful ways of this earth. He will destroy them. He will do it two ways. He'll bring them into submission to His gospel through repentance and faith, or He will condemn them to the lake of fire at the day of judgment. Verse 22, the Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea. You see, a gathering of the souls, even, who, uh, even those who had experienced temporal judgment at the earth, assembling one day before the great throne of judgment, that you may strike your feet in their blood. The tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. Again, a picture of utter, in the poetry here, of utter and complete desolation. An absolute fallout of the entire uh, society, as it were, or assembly of those who rejected the Lord. They become so much dog food in their rebellious and uh, wicked unrepentance. Verse 24, your procession, there's that word, is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. Notice David, writing in the first person, now recognizes a king over him. This is a procession yet to come. He is speaking of the procession of the Ark of the New Covenant, if you will. This procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. David is speaking of the Son of David. He's speaking of the King of Kings. He's speaking of the one who will sit on his throne, never to evacuate that position of authority. He is speaking of Jesus Christ, his Savior, our Savior, and Lord. This is cause for worship. And we see in the Ascension Parade, cause for song and glorious uh, praise to be offered before Him. Verse 25, singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation, the Lord, O you, who are Israel's fountain. There is a picture here of the redeemed people, those who have been washed clean, who are pure, who are innocent, who are joyful who are joining Him and identifying with His holiness, His righteousness, His victory, and His salvation. They are also referenced by tribal names in verse 27. Here's a few representing them. There's Benjamin, the least of them in the lead. It's almost as if David is sit sitting on a high place, right? He's got this, uh, he's sitting on the edge of an outcropping, let's say, on the rock, on a cliff, and he's watching this long procession wind up with the ark in front and those different tribes are rallying in ranks and the singers worshiping and praising the Lord, making their way, ascending the hill of victory, following the ark. And as he sees this, he recognizes Benjamin in the lead, the princes of Judah in their throng. He says the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali, this to represent the whole people of God. The scriptures will go on to say that God will ransom for himself through the ark of the new covenant, as it were, a people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And they will join him in praise and song in glory one day, as they find themselves in the ark procession of the new covenant. Goes on, verse 28, Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Here we see a slight shift as we begin to get into the last section of our psalm, we have the people themselves praising the Lord, but we also have an anticipation of things yet to come. There is the prophetic occasion, there's this ascension parade, and now in verse 28 through 35, we see a prophecy that Christ, the Ark of the New Covenant, 
he will be and is king of kings. Listen to the extent of his rule proclaimed in Psalm 68. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Think about Jesus when he was just still a, a, a toddler as this little one here incarnate. Kings, as it were, came bearing gifts to him. That is, foreign dignitaries or wise men came from afar to bring their gifts to the Lord, symbolizing a fulfillment of the tribute, spiritual tribute that would stream in to the kingdom of God as the gospel would change hearts all over the globe. Verse 30, Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herd of bulls with calves of the people. The picture here is like crocodiles or say hippopotamuses. Is that how you say it? Hippopotami? That are trampling down the reeds along the shore of the Nile. No doubt the nations like Egypt were in view here. The most powerful and formidable empires of that time. They're having their way with those who of the children of God, the weak and the vulnerable, trampling them, them like reeds. Another description, like herds of bulls with the calves of the people. And as we see these picture, this picture of uh, the destruction that comes against the people who are weak and vulnerable, we also see in light of this victory parade, the tables turning, trample underfoot those who, two things, lust after tribute, scatter the peoples who delight in war, or trample those underfoot who del, uh, lust after tribute, and then secondly, scatter the people who delight in war. If there were two phrases that would describe the nations of our day and what makes them tick, I can't think of any two that would summarize any better than that. The nations of the earth today, including our own, lust after tribute, taxes, money, revenue, income, wealth, progress. They also delight in war. Our nation seems, the nations of the earth seem to be in a perpetual state of conflict. Even news this week stated the same. It seems that we can never have a, a time of prolonged peace. Why? Because we, the weak and vulnerable, are often trodden underfoot by those who lust after tribute, extorting from us the taxes they so long for and scatter the people who delight in, the, in, in war. But this will not always be the case. It will, in fact, be evident through the course of time that Jesus Christ is Lord as He brings even these pictures of false authority in submission to His footstool. He does this in verse 31 and 32 poetically by describing the following, Nobles shall come from Egypt. So important dignitaries, heads of state, people who have influence with, the, with others and masses of the population, sh they shall come from Egypt. And Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. The nations who once trampled the people of God. There will be a time when they will reach forward. When God will collect from them citizens for his own kingdom. Verse 32. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord, Selah. There's a summons to the authorities, to the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the earth to come. Repent and bow before the King of Kings. Join the ark procession before it is too late. Don't pretend that your procession will lead to victory. It will not. It will lead to defeat and to judgment. 
But if you lay down your lust for tribute, if you repent of your delight in war, and if you swear allegiance to the King of Kings, you'll find yourself victorious after all, eventually and ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth. Speaking of heavens, verse 33, to him who rides in the heavens, that is the celestial regions are a chariot, a vehicle for the Lord himself. The ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice, ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary. Again, we see the place of destination for the ark as it were, his sanctuary representing conditions met for communion between the people of God and His perfect holiness. And this is glory. This is heaven. This is the new heavens and the new earth. This is the redeemed community. This is the kingdom of God in its fullest manifest form that history is marching toward, the sanctuary, the place where there is no sun and where we worship the Lamb that was slain with voices in unison and one accord, forever without end. The God of Israel, He is the one who gives power and strength to His people. Blessed be God. And so Psalm 68 closes. And let me close this message with this thought. Let us take away this lesson from Psalm 68. Consider the effect of God's abiding presence among His people. The effect of God's abiding presence is, in fact, the key to all of history. I would encourage you, don't mark the significance of any moment by what you see on the news. Don't judge the meaning or relevance of your life by what you experience by way of sinners interacting in this fallen world in same old, same old kind of civic and religion, quasi-religious interactions and and all of that is to say, his, neither you nor history are a byproduct of the environment that is contained by the fallenness of man. In fact, history has a purpose and a direction. True meaning in history is the effect of God's abiding presence with His people. That changes things. When God's presence was abiding with His people in the Old Covenant... Nations who are much more populous, much more influence, much more land, much more wealth, much stronger, bowed the knee. They were reduced to rubble before the advancing power of God. Nations, people, hardened souls, individuals who have their eyes set as en in enmity with the Lord and hearts as far from Him as we can possibly imagine all over this globe are no match for the advancing gospel of Jesus Christ. The meaning of history, even today, is the effects of God's presence with His people, changing hearts and minds, and eventually peoples, into those who worship Him and join the train of victory unto glory. This is happening in communist China, in the darkest regions of pagan continents that are as yet third world in their status, yet hearts are ringing with salvation in the obscure corners of the earth because the effect of God dwelling in the presence of His people is changing history. He is gathering for Himself with the reaping a sickle of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
an army of worshipers in his train of captives unto glory. We live in an era like this, just as David did in old. I encourage you to read and meditate on Psalm 68. Compare it to its fulfillment text in verses like Ephesians 4 and others. And watch the, victor, and watch the glories of God's power unfold even in our day as we see the effects of God's abiding presence changing history for His glory and for His name. Who should hear this? Who is the intended audience of this psalm? Everyone. If you go back through it and you just mark all the different types of people that are referenced, there are sworn enemies, the wicked, the righteous, poor, lonely, prisoners, rebels, needy, underclasses, rulers, kings, men and women, captives, powerful, influential, musicians, innocent, young and old, nations, tribes, ungodly nations, respected and famous individuals, and entire global empires to which this psalm was addressed. And so let us, as much as we are called, be faithful to bring this message of truth to whoever the Lord might lead us to, that we would declare to them, Jesus is Lord and King of kings. Let us close in prayer. O Lord, we thank you for the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord, the ark of the new covenant sacrificed for our sins, who is leading in his victory parade and train all who have repented and confessed their sin and have placed their faith in him for their salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you can subdue the hardest heart and bring down the most powerful kingdom. We thank you that nothing can stand in the way of your purposes in history. Give us faith and confidence to proclaim this message to whoever would hear, knowing all the while that it is just a short trek from here to the place where Sinai and the sanctuary meet, and we will be worshiping in that place of glory in heaven one day. We thank you for these promises. We thank you for this progress. May we join your victory parade today if we have not already. And if we are there, may we sing with the worshipers, Lord, in root, praises to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has defeated all the enemies that we could possibly imagine and is leading us unto glory. Thank you for these promises. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.